0: I invite you to take your Bibles with me and turn to the book of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. A moment We'll read that together. I'm reminded of a quote that I read this week, which says, the church that is united in Christ is a church that does not easily crumble. Church united in many other things will easily crumble. And if we're honest, it's probably not even a church. Our hope is in the fact that we are united in Christ. And being united in him we will stand and stand firm. And now that you've got comfortable, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? John 11, verses 17 through 27. After verse 27, I will say, This is the word of the Lord, and together we will say, Thanks be to God. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Let us be quick to hear O Lord, slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let us put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May be seated. the book of Ecclesiastes tells us the following. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. Who says that? To the ears of many in our world such a statement sounds ludicrous. The day of death is better than the day of our birth? No way. Everyone knows the day of one's birth is better than the day of death, right? We rejoice in birth. We are happy when a child is born. We know amazing joy when a new life comes into this world. But with death comes sorrow, heartache, grief, sadness. That does not seem better to us. We avoid those emotions because all of those feelings tell us that something is wrong. They don't make us feel good. They make us feel awful. How many people have told you the day of your death is going to be better than the day of your birth? We might be tempted to say that if someone would say that to us, we would respond and say you've got it all backwards you've got it all wrong everything is upside down but we believe it because God says it and we don't shy away from it we don't run away from it we don't try to minimize it we don't uh, try, try to explain it away because God says it it is true It is truth. It reminds us our lives are lives that are built on faith. We have been designed by God to be creatures who believe. There are some in our world who would try to deny faith. They would say they don't believe in anything. They instead would say they live by reason or by logic They would rather be guided by their own intellect or by science. But there is a problem. Reason, logic, intellect, or science cannot explain everything. The universe that they say created them, well, who created that universe? Try as they may. They are unable to escape the fact that there are things that they believe, things that they accept by faith. Everyone lives by a set of beliefs. And what you believe is seen by the way that you live your life. So the question, do you have faith, becomes obsolete. Everyone has faith. How do... You and I use the word faith. Maybe today you would know someone who you would say is faithful. By this we mean they are loyal or devoted to something or someone. I am faithful to my spouse. I am faithful to my kids. I am faithful to my career. Being faithful in this way does not refer to our dependence on something else, but it refers to our being dependable. I am faithful. How else do we use this word faith? Maybe you would say that someone is faithful. That is, they are full of faith. Like a glass of water. That is full to the brim. You might think that your life is like that. It is filled to the brim with faith. I am a man of faith. She is a woman of faith. Look at how much faith they have. When we consider the faithful and those who are full of faith, we can talk about them in positive and good ways, but there still could be one tragic conclusion that we could come to. You can be faithful. Or think that you are full of faith, but still lack salvation. The faithful and those full of faith are not automatically saved. There's a problem in our world, for our world says things like, you just got to have faith, or simply believe. But the world has No answer for where our faith is to be placed or what we are to believe in. And for many in the world, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter where you place your faith because the world says that there are many faiths and all of these faiths faiths lead to one end, that you can go your own way and still meet each other in the end, meet each other on the other side. And we would say, this is a lie. You cannot go your own way. All faiths do not lead to the same destination. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14 say, The gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Two different gates, one wide, one narrow. One leads to destruction, one leads to life. One is found by many, the other is found by few. And so we must get faith right. And particularly we must get the object of our faith right. What is it that we believe in? Who is it that we believe in? How does the Bible define faith for us? Hebrews 11.1 1 is a good place to start. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Where does this kind of assurance and security come from? How do you get this kind of conviction? Well, I'll tell you where you won't find it. You won't find it first in yourself. Where does Jesus tell us to place our faith? In John 14, 1, he says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What assurance and conviction does Jesus provide for us here? Believe in God. There is the object of our faith. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't say, believe in God. That's enough. He says, also believe in me. What does that tell us about who Jesus believes himself to be? He's not just a mere man. He is the God man. He is 100% man and 100% God. And it's good and right and necessary for him to be the object then of our faith. Believe in God and also believe in Jesus Christ. You cannot believe in God and have any belief in God that is meaningful and that lasts if there is no belief in Christ. Those two go together. Believe in God and believe in me, says Jesus. They go together. It's a package deal. We are those who believe in Christ. We have put our faith in Him And our lives and the way that we live reflect our faith in Jesus Christ. Now we can tackle this truth that we began with. That the day of death is the better day than the day of our birth. This is the devastating situation that Mary and Martha were in. Their brother, Lazarus, was dead. They were grieving and sorrowful, and Lazarus had been in the tomb four days, it said. What does that tell us? Lazarus was dead dead. Now, he's not just a little dead. He's all the way dead. Martha and Mary you are now surrounded by others. Some, having come from Jerusalem, were told that they were in Bethany, Jerusalem just being a few miles off. Now, these Jews were coming, they were supposed to be consoling Martha and Mary, they were there to comfort them, In the Jewish culture, you even hired professional mourners to mourn for you with the loss of your loved ones, to weep and to wail out your house as an outward expression of the hurt that the family was thought to be experiencing. When Jesus finally came, Martha went out to meet Jesus, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, you could have healed Lazarus. You could have prevented this. You could have stopped impending death. We could have been saved from this heartache that we are experiencing if you had only been here, Jesus. But now we know that your father still listens to you, gives you what you request. Most likely she is saying something like, I still believe that you're able to heal the sick. But Jesus knows what is about to happen, doesn't he? Spoiler alert, Lazarus Lazarus rises again from the dead. But Jesus comes to her and he assures her with some words Your brother will rise again. Martha, who doesn't know what is about to happen, acts like she has all of her doctrine together, it acts like she knows exactly what's going on, right? Don't worry, Jesus. I know my doctrine, I know what the Bible teaches. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know there's a day coming in the future when he will rise again. There's general resurrection that will happen. I believe that, Jesus. Don't worry. I've got my doctrine down. But Jesus responds in a shocking fashion. What does he say? I am the resurrection and the life. Believe in me. You've got your doctrine down. Good. You need something more. You need the person upon whom all of this doctrine is placed. You need Jesus because all that you believe will flow out of your belief in him. Belief in doctrine alone is cold, dead, lifeless faith. But belief in doctrine, because of your belief in Christ, is heart satisfying, joy filling, peace giving, complete wholeness to your person. Doctrine alone doesn't cause you to love one another, doctrine alone won't make you obey God. Doctrine alone won't make you hate and kill your own sin, but Jesus will. Love Jesus, you will love one another. Love Jesus, you will obey the Father. Love Jesus, you will hate and kill your sin. Jesus leads us to right and true and sound doctrine. It's His person, our relationship with Him that causes us to believe the right things. So I'm not saying that sound doctrine isn't important. What I am saying is that we must never divorce sound doctrine from the person and work of Jesus And so Jesus directs us to himself. Here in these verses 25, 26, and 27 are the verses we will be looking at specifically this morning. And what do we learn as Jesus directs, him to, directs us to himself as the object of our faith? Well, we learn three truths. You can follow along your bulletin if that's helpful. But number one, As the object of our faith, Jesus gives life. As the object of our faith, Jesus gives life. What an amazing and astounding statement when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus isn't merely saying that he brings people to the resurrection, he isn't saying he causes the resurrection. Those are miraculous in and of themselves, but he is saying he is the embodiment of the resurrection and of life. Do you want to know resurrection? Do you want to know life? Then you have to know him. There is no resurrection and there is no life apart from Jesus Christ. The only way the gift of life is available to you in this age is because Jesus is the resurrection and the life now. Why is this? Because Jesus gives eternal life. He gives spiritual life. He gives life that cannot be touched by physical death. How amazing is the life that Jesus gives? So amazing that it goes on even if you physically die. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Physical death is the doorway to greater life with God. And as we said, if you were with us Christmas Eve service, would we ever find it ironic that some people who are living are searching and looking for life? When you know Jesus... The looking and searching for life is over because you're no longer looking, you're no longer dead in your trespasses and sin, you've been raised to walk in the newness of life. You have been united with Christ in, a lot, in His life, in His death and in His resurrection so that you can know life and receive the life that He gives now. If Jesus has given you this life, what should your response be? Jesus gives life, so live. But do not live the way the world tells you to live. What does the world say? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Live it up. What does the Bible say? Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Is that the way you live your life? From the most amazing experience that you might have in this life to the most mundane experience that you have in this life. When you eat your tuna fish sandwich, are you eating that for the glory of God? That is really living. That is how we are to judge our lives. We are to live our lives as a testimony and as a witness for what Jesus has done in us in order to give us this life and so we live in the shadow of the cross. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. He gave of his life for us to give us life so that we can and will and desire and want to live for him with every ounce and fiber of our being. Our sins were placed upon the perfect lamb so that we could be forgiven and receive life. Are you living for the one who gave you life and secures your life and you know your life is secure because Jesus resurrected from the dead? Are you walking in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? As the object of our faith, Jesus gives life. And secondly, as the object of our faith, Jesus overcomes death. Jesus overcomes death. Jesus does not stop with just the gift of life, but we see he also overcomes death. Here's what it says. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die ever. Never, ever, ever. It's impossible. No way. How could this ever be? Christians live in this paradox. It is not death to die. One commentator says this, In the present age, believers have conquered death and live with the triumphal confidence that physical death cannot remove the life they already enjoy. What a thought. The only death worth regarding cannot and does not and will not affect those who believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our God over life and over death. Death is not the end. Death does not win. Death will not have the final say. And John, in the book of Revelation, even speaks of what he calls the second death. And what is that second death? Well, this is a death that lasts for eternity. Believers escape the condemnation of God, which is shown by death. And they escape this second death, which is reserved for those whose names are not written in the book of life. And what happens to them? They are thrown and cast into the lake of fire forever. Not only is it not death when you die physically, but you also will not know the second death, which lasts for eternity. Believers are escaping this condemnation of God. That is why there is no death in a new heaven and a new earth. Because everyone who dwells there is not under the condemnation of God. Rather, they are everyone who has been commended by God because of their faith in his son. Truly, for the one who has faith in Christ, you will never die ever. How should you respond knowing that Jesus overcomes? We sang about it a couple times this morning. We should have no fear. In the face of death, we do not and will not fear. There is no need for panic. There is no need for troubled hearts. There is all the room that we need for peace and for rest. This is freeing for the believer because it means we don't need to try to finish off our bucket list. In fact, kick your bucket list to the curb. Bucket lists are for those who think the best and only experiences are to be found in this life. Do you know what hap do you know people's bucket lists what they put on them? Have you ever heard anyone say, "On my bucket list is go to church." You ever heard anyone say that? Why not? Because many see church as drudgery, as unexciting, as unexpiring, and as boring. But if this is where we meet with God, if this is an outpost of the kingdom of God, if this is where we taste for a small moment the glories of heaven together where it shows us that everything is temporary, is passing away, and it brings us into the realm of eternal, where should we want to be? Where should we desire to be? Where should we love to be? I love what Paul says in Romans 14, verse 8. He says this, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. How do you have no fear in the face of death because you say, I am the Lord's and He is mine. I belong to Him. Whatever happens to me, I am in His hands. And if you belong to Him, And if he is the object of your faith, you know what it is to overcome death. As the object of our faith, Jesus overcomes death. And finally, number three, as the object of our faith, Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus is trustworthy. I'm going to share one of the greatest challenges for me as a father. Something that I've been working on for the past 15 years since the birth of my firstborn son. Still something I'm working on, laboring, striving, praying, making every effort so that my children would trust me. How often is there a response in my house? Where my children are saying, I don't trust you. Just one small example. Just so you know that I'm like you. This morning I had to convince my youngest son to trust me that he could not wear a Cam Newton Carolina Panthers jersey to church. Trust me. Trust me, son. Have something better for you. How often might our children's hearts believe that we as their parents do not have the best intention for them? How often might they believe that we are holding something back that they believe is good for them? What is it that resides in their hearts? It's the same thing that worked in Eve's heart in the garden. In Adam's heart many years before. Can I really trust God? Can I really trust my father? Is he really good? Is he holding something back from me? Jesus puts this question to Martha. We would do well to ask ourselves this question this morning. Do you believe this? It's a personal question. No one else can do it for you? You cannot ride the coattails of anyone else's faith? And I believe that Martha gets it exactly right. Notice Jesus gives her the open door to go back to merely believing doctrine or dogma or teaching. Do you believe this? set of teachings? A doctrine? But what does Martha say? She gets it, doesn't she? She gets it. Yes, Lord, I believe you. I believe in you. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe you are the one who is coming into the world to rescue us and save us from our sins. I believe that you are the light of God. I believe that you are the Word of God incarnate. Jesus, I believe in you. What devotion from Martha, what dedication given to Christ. She trusts Him completely because He is trustworthy. And why is He trustworthy? Because He is worthy. He is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy of all of our praise. He is worthy of everything that we could muster to give to Him With her brother lying dead in a tomb, Jesus is trustworthy. With a heavy burden of grief and sadness upon her heart, Jesus is trustworthy. With the limiting perspective of death clouding her vision, in a moment it's all cleared away and she sees Jesus as trustworthy. Had Jesus let her down? How it's all changed in a moment. From Jesus, if you had just been here, to Jesus, I believe in you because you are completely trustworthy. Martha summarizes the content of true saving faith. It's the same faith that John points us to at the end of his gospel. Just turn over a few pages to John chapter 20. Verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Isn't that exactly what Martha said in her response? Do you know life in His name? Is He the object of your faith? With the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022, we stand upon the precipice of the testing of our faith. What faith will Christ find among us? Will there be little faith? Will there be weak faith? Will there be any faith at all? How do you gauge the strength and health of your faith? Will 2022 be a year of great faith? Will it be a year of strong faith? Will it be a a year where your faith is shaken to the core, where your faith is stretched to such an extent that you might feel as if it's going to break? Or would it bring you to the point where you question, is it worth it? If your faith is in yourself, Your own ability, your own strength, and your own perseverance, it will fail. If your faith depends upon your mental health and the power of remaining optimistic in the darkest night, believing in the power of positive thinking, it will fail if your faith depends upon your circumstances or life going the way you want it to go or being in control escaping devastation danger hurt or despair that you might encounter in this life it will fail if your faith depends upon your survival maintaining physical health and wellness your ability to escape or cheat death or how you're going to prolong your life and ease the fear you face It will fail. If your faith depends upon material things, if it depends upon not being in need, to have no worries with your finances, to have a house filled with stuff, to dull the ease and the pain so that you might be able to experience some temporary bliss or at least a moment of forgetfulness, it will fail. If your faith depends upon your own godliness, the knowledge that you have amassed, the religious boxes that you've been able to check, the righteousness that you think you have in yourself to support you and make you acceptable in the eyes of God, who will surely welcome you into His heaven, because after all, you've been a good person, it will fail. The object of our faith needs to be better than all of these things. It needs to be bigger than all of these things. Why is your faith so small? Why is your faith so weak? Because it is directly tied to the object of your faith. In the end, there is only one object of your faith. If your faith is to be truly meaningful and lasting, And necessary, the object of our faith must be Jesus Christ. And if our faith is small and weak, it's not Christ's fault, it's our fault. Our vision of Christ is lacking. Our vision of Christ is too small and too narrow. We must enlarge our vision and so our understanding of Christ. The problem is, we often put Christ under a microscope rather than viewing him through a telescope. What does a microscope do? It takes something small, even something that's invisible to the naked eye and it magnifies it so that we can see it. We cannot put Christ underneath the microscope because Christ is not small. But what does a telescope do? It takes something that is large yet far away and magnifies it so that it fills our gaze. It makes it so that we are able to see the greatness of the object that is magnified. When Jesus is the true object of our faith, His greatness is magnified in order to fill our gaze with His glory. Dear brother and sister, let us desire and seek to expand our vision of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, and then we will see our faith grow. Then we will know strong faith. Then we will have healthy faith. The more we are able to behold Jesus in all of his greatness and all of his glory and all of his splendor and majesty and wisdom and strength, it is then and only then that we will know what it is to have much faith. Faith that is immovable. Faith that is able to command mountains to be thrown into the heart of the sea. Faith in the one who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or even think. Why is it that your faith is so shaky? Why is it that you are struggling to believe Christ? Why is it that you are doubting his truth? And if we are to pray to Him, maybe pray like one father did in Mark chapter 9, where this man comes to Jesus and asks Him to heal his demon-possessed son. And this man says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And when we listen to Jesus' response, if you can... All things are possible for the one who believes. And then let us respond as that father responded in that moment. I believe. Help my unbelief. Let us dispel a myth for a moment. Christianity and Jesus Christ does not call us or anyone to blind faith. True faith is not a leap into the dark. No, we are called to a faith provable and verifiable, a faith that is based upon a cloud of witnesses, a faith that isn't trying to navigate through this world with eyes shut, but a faith that has its eyes wide open and it sees the world clearly and accurately. It's a faith that in one sense does not yet see all of our Savior, but in another sense, it is a faith that is always looking to Jesus. Let's finish here for a moment. Turn with me me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. Hebrews 11, we often call this the hall of faith. So we receive this definition that we said at the beginning. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And then we see all of these people's faith person after person after person. Look at what it says in verse 35 chapter 11 there were women who by faith received back their dead by resurrection might that be Martha and Mary women of faith who received back their dead by resurrection and then what do we read in chapter 12 therefore All of these people who had had faith, all these people who had Jesus as the object of their faith, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We are on a race. We have all of these people whose lives are undergirding our lives, who are spurring us on. Run this race with endurance. Persevere in the faith. Don't give up, don't give in. Keep going. And we are wanting to run this race with endurance as we're, we're taking the, the shackles off of our ankles, right? Anything that would slow us down, all the sin that would weigh us down. We're leaving it by the wayside. And where are we looking? We're looking to Jesus what does it say there? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus. He is the author, the originator, the founder of your faith. Where has your faith come from? If faith is something that you've conjured up in your own life, it's not saving faith. True faith is a gift from God. True faith originates from Christ, not from us. If your faith comes from anyone other than from Jesus, it is false faith. But if it originates from Christ, if it is rooted and grounded and founded in Him, if He is the author of your faith, then your faith will grow. It will persevere. It will endure because Jesus is also the perfecter of our faith. Our faith is not yet perfect. Our faith will at times experience ups and downs, but as we look to Jesus, we look with hope that one day our faith will be completely and entirely perfected. We are all looking to Jesus, and one day our looking to Jesus in faith will be made sight. When will this happen? On the last day, the day of Christ's return, at the moment of Christ's second advent, it is then when he appears that we shall be made like him because we shall finally and fully see him for who he really is. So until that day, whether we are called home, or are alive when he comes again, we can say with full confidence and faith, the day of death is better than the day of birth. Because it draws us into greater life, sweeter fellowship, and realized hope as we dwell with the Lord forever. As you're there, maybe take a moment looking back on this past year, looking forward to the new year. Pray that your understanding and your desire for the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, would grow. If you're here this morning you don't know Jesus Christ, He's not the object of your faith. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Put your faith and trust in Him. Repent of your sins. Turn your eyes to Him. He is trustworthy. He will save you. Confess that He is Lord. Father, I pray that all today here would know you. That all of the looking and all of the searching is over. Because those here have found Christ. They pray that you would help our faith grow as we grow in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If any of us is lacking faith, if any of us is having small faith, let us again go back to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who never disappoints. Pray this in his name. Amen.